Now as we come to the scripture, let me ask you please to pray with me. Father in heaven, we have the living word in our Lord Jesus Christ and we have this written word as well that you've given to us. Um, this written word to speak of this Christ who has come. So I pray that even now you would set this moment aside in our lives in such a way that our attention is drawn to Christ and to him alone. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to Isaiah in chapter 7. I think the best way to do this is for me just to read verses 10 through 14. And after I do that, then we'll go through some other pieces of this passage. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 7, please. <clears throat> Hear the word of God. This is the prophet Isaiah, you remember. And the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ahaz was king in Judah. The Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, now, ancient Judah was in trouble. This is about 735 B.C. Ancient Judah was in trouble. Uh, Ahaz was king of Judah. You remember that Israel, by this time, had divided into two, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. That took place after the reign of King Solomon. The northern kingdom, the 12 tribes to the north, was often referred to as Israel. The two tribes of the south, Bethlehem and Judah, was often referred to as Judah. So Israel and Judah. It can be confusing because when we think of Israel, we think of all 12 tribes, if you will. But by this time, Israel was primarily the name for the northern 10 tribes. And there was great hostility, as you might imagine, still between the northern and the southern kingdoms between Israel and Judah. In fact, at this point in time, Israel was plotting to come against Judah, that is to make war upon her. Assyria, if I could introduce another country in the midst of this, Assyria was the great power of the day. Ruthless was working its way through these various kingdoms. Everyone was afraid of Assyria. Now, in order to deal with Assyria, you could either fight her or you could align with other nations to fight her or you could pay tribute to Assyria not to fight you, right? So, so those were basically the options. You could fight yourself, you could join with others to fight or you could pay protection money, if you will. You could pay in order for Assyria not to come against you. That is to say, if you would trust Assyria to take your money and then not fight against you. But, but that was the risk, obviously, that you would be taking at that point in time. If you'll notice in verse 1 of Isaiah in chapter 7, let's just sort of read and annotate as we go just a bit. In the days of Ahaz, now Ahaz was the king of Judah at this moment in time. Ahaz 
was a despicable king. But Ahaz was the king of Judah at this time. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, Jotham was his father, the son of Uzziah was his grandfather. They had previously been kings. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but couldn't yet mount an attack against it. So here's the picture. You have Syria, whose king is listed as Rezin, and you have Israel, northern kingdom, Pekah is the king there. Now, they're making war against Judah. The reason they're doing that is because Judah won't side with them to fight against Assyria. And so what they want to do is to come up against Judah, overtake Judah, put a puppet king in the place of Ahaz, so that then Judah is with them. And so then it will fortify them, they think, against Assyria. So they keep coming up against uh, Judah, but, but they have yet to succeed. Although, if you read in First Kings chapter, or Second Kings chapter 6 and Second Chronicles chapter 28, you'll find that they had still wreaked a great deal of havoc in Judah. There was still devastation because of the, this war against them. But, but they had not yet been able to overtake it. Verse 2. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, that is, the northern kingdom, uh, Israel. Syria is in league with Ephraim. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as trees of the forest shake before the wind. And so you realize, okay, everyone in Judah is now afraid because they see the picture. On the one hand, Assyria is out there looming. On the other hand, these other nations, and there they stand vulnerable to attack. Verse 3. The Lord said to Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shira Jazhub, your son. Not a very inviting name, but, but, but the sons of Isaiah were, were sort of signs, if you will. Uh, they, they, as you know, my kids always say there's certain occupational hazards to being a pastor's kid. Well, to being a prophet's kid, there were certain occupational hazards too. Because your names often were prophetic. So that every time your name would be sounded in, 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 in the land, people would hear a prophetic word. So Shira Jazhub means a remnant will return. So he says, I want you to take your son whose name means a remnant will return. And I want you to go up and meet Ahaz. Notice, and the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shira Jazub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Now, what this means is that Ahaz is out inspecting the water supply. And the reason that he's out inspecting the water supply is that he knows that that's his, the nation's most vulnerable point. Because, you see, if these enemies can somehow disrupt the water supply into Jerusalem, then devastation will come. That's their only source of water, really, for the city. So, so he's out there inspecting it, no doubt thinking about how can we protect this. This is our most vulnerable point. His son, Hezekiah, will devise a plan later on, next group of kings, will, will devise a plan to, 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 to protect it. But, but at this point, uh, Ahaz didn't have any great way to protect it. So here he is, and, and, and God says to Isaiah, I want you to go and find Ahaz where he's most vulnerable. Now, 
just as a little aside, little sermonette for Christianettes, little sermonette here. There's a principle here that God meets us where we're weakest, that God meets us at our most vulnerable places. And it's in those most vulnerable places that he speaks words of encouragement. Now, verse 4. And say to him, that is Isaiah said, as, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. Now, God always says stuff like that, doesn't he? And you want to say, can't you see what's going on here, God? Can't you see that Israel and Syria is out here ready to attack and destroy us? And here's our water supply. If they get this, we're done. And there's us, Syria, out there. I don't know if we can pay them ever enough money not to fight against us. And we can't stand against us. And now you're telling me just to be careful, to be calm, to relax, chill out. It'll be fine. Because, he says, of these two smoldering stumps of firebrand, at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, the son of Remaliah, he says, listen, they've burned themselves out. You can't see that, Ahaz, but I can see that. They've burned themselves out. So don't, don't be worried about them. Verse 5. Because Syria with Ephraim, that is the northern kingdom, and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Again, as I said, to set up this puppet king, Tabeel, not of the household of David, not a real legitimate king, but someone who would they be able to manipulate. But thus says the Lord God. So this is the prophetic word. Ahaz, this is why I came to, this is what I came to tell you. This is what God is speaking to you. This is why you don't need to be afraid. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. In other words, they won't kill you. They won't devastate you. They won't come up against you. For the head of Syria is Damascus, Syria's capital, Damascus. And the head of Damascus is Rezin. And the, the, the chief over Damascus is just this guy named Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim, that is the northern kingdom, will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. In other words, Isaiah, uh, Ahaz, get this. The best they have are these two men. Your head is Jerusalem. The head of Jerusalem is God. See it rightly. I mean, see how this is. So, so you don't have to be afraid of them. And remember, you're of the house of David. You're of the house wherein God has promised always one will sit on this throne and rule and reign on his behalf. Don't worry about these ones. They burn themselves out. Because because really, you see, within 65 years, uh, the northern kingdom won't even be. That was true, of course. Within just a few years, Syria was attacked and destroyed. Within uh, about 12 or 13 years, the northern kingdom was attacked by the Assyrians and, 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 the, and the, the, the captivity of the northern kingdom began. And, and within 65 years, clearly, there was no more northern kingdom. The Assyrians had so infiltrated that there was no longer uh, an identity of the people of God within these northern tribes. But then he says to him this, he says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. In other words, he says, you've got to trust me on this. You've got to believe me. If you're not firm here, then you will be destroyed. But you need to trust this very word of God. You see, if Ahaz knew his history, and I suppose he did, if you gave him a multiple choice test, I'm, I'm sure he would have passed it. Because if you would have said, now, now what happened 
at the Red Sea, he could probably have told you. You remember that situation? That the Israelites in those days had been captive in Egypt and had been delivered, Moses the deliverer, and they get to this Red Sea, it blocks them, they can't go beyond it, it's there. They look to their rear and they see Pharaoh's army coming against them. And and you remember what it is that God said to them there in Exodus, in chapter something. God speaks to them. And he says in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm. Same thing, same word, same idea, same sort of situation. God, how can you say that to me? Don't you realize the predicament I'm in? Don't you realize that the Red Sea is here? I can't get beyond it. Don't you realize that Pharaoh's army's coming up? Don't you realize they're about to destroy us? And you're saying, don't be afraid. And so Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. Ahaz, these enemies that are out there today, you'll never see again. Stand firm. The Lord will fight for you. Relax. Be at peace. Just wait. Verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. I read this some minutes ago. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. This is one of those unique places in Scripture where God says, in a sense, test me. Put me to the test. God says, listen, I I know what I'm asking. I know this is a difficult thing. And so here's what I'll do for you. Ask me for a sign. That will prove to you, whatever it takes, that will prove to you that I really am here. That will prove to you that I'll fight for you. That that the words that I'm speaking are really true. Ask me for a sign. Don't you wish he would have? Because God said, listen, it can be as deep as Sheol, as high as heaven, whatever you want it to be. Now, God gave great signs when he wanted to give a sign. He can make a bush burn but not be consumed. He could take a staff of Moses and Moses could throw it down and become a serpent and he could pick it up by its tail and become a staff again. He could take Moses' hand and Moses could stick it in his, in his coat and then look at it and it would be leprous and put it back in and it would be clean. You know the famous Gideon fleece, obviously. But, but, but even in the days of Hezekiah, he, he turned the clock back, if you will. He made the shadow on the sundial move backwards. Ahaz responds in a way that makes us sort of think that he's being humble and even being a bit spiritual. In fact, he even quotes a Bible verse out of Exodus or Deuteronomy. It's in a couple of different places that we're not to put the Lord to the test. And, and so Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And you say, whoa, bad answer. Because you see, when the Lord says, let me give you a sign, then the Lord knows you need a sign and you should take it. But he says, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Why did he do that? Why was it that he wouldn't take this sign? Well, because he didn't want one. Because if he got one, then he had to follow it. He'd have to believe it. He'd be accountable to the prophet. He'd be accountable to the nation uh, because God had given this great sign. And everybody would know then that this this word was true. And and he really didn't want to go with God. He didn't really want to trust God. He didn't want to be really God's king. He really wanted to do what he had set out to do, which was make an alliance with Assyria. Pay them tribute. 
He felt more comfortable doing that. Now you realize in order to, to really align with Assyria that he would have to incorporate Assyrians' gods within Judah. But that didn't bother him at all. He rather liked his ruthless Assyria. He really liked the gods of Assyria. He wanted to bring them in. And so he did that. Ahaz would do that. He would pay them money and then bring their gods into the temple. Oh, they could still have the god Yahweh. But, but, but obviously he would be moved out little by little. So the prophet says, Hero house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, just so you know, the word you there in that verse is plural. In English, again, if Isaiah were Southern, it would be a you all. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you all or all y'all, the, the whole nation, a sign. Not just Ahaz, but I want to give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And he shall call his name Emmanuel. Do you wonder what even Isaiah thought when those words were spoken? Who was this woman? Who was this child? Was it that there was a woman who at that moment in time was a virgin, that is, hadn't married, hadn't been intimate with a man, that, that she was there, a young woman, and that she would then quickly marry and have a son and name him Emmanuel? You say, well, that's certainly possible. I mean, that certainly could happen. And you'd say, well, that could be a sign. But, but, it, but it sort of is disappointing, isn't it? It's sort of like, okay, but we were looking for something bigger than that. I mean, when God said, you know, Ahaz, you can have a sign as deep as Sheol or as high as, 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 as heaven. We're thinking of something pretty spectacular. That seems pretty normal. I mean, a woman has a baby and names it. Funny name. But still, you know, people name their kids things that mean something and so she would name him Emmanuel and little Emmanuel would be running around and, and he would say okay before this kid gets so old then, then these nations will be destroyed it just doesn't satisfy much does it but were they really thinking that there would be a woman who was never intimate with a man becoming pregnant have a child and that child's name would be Emmanuel how could that be that would be the sign because you see, what really Ahaz and the nation really needed to know was that God was really with them, that God really would fight for them, that God would really take care of them, that God would really protect them. That's what they needed to know. What they really needed to know is, yes, indeed, God is with us. And so he said, well, here's the sign of that. Well, well as we read on, we, we see in, in, in verse 15, he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread, that is Syria and the northern kingdom, uh, will be deserted the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the, the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. In other words, he's saying, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is that uh, you'll be protected from these kings that you fear. The bad news is that this one with whom you've made this alliance, this Assyria, will flow over and get you to, for instance, Second Chronicles and chapter 28, verse 20. It describes this situation. So Tig, Tiglath-Pileser, who was king of Assyria, came against Ahaz and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. For Ahaz took a portion from the house of the Lord and the house of the king and, the, and of the princes and gave tribute to the king of Assyria. But it did not help him. 
Because you see, he had made an alliance with that which was untrustworthy, an alliance that which was ruthless, an alliance that, that which couldn't help him, an alliance that, that would really overtake him. Because you see, Ahaz's problem really wasn't political. His problem really wasn't military. His problem really was sin. He wouldn't trust and yield to God. Could I just ask that? With whom, with what, do you and I make alliances so that we can feel safe, so that we can feel at peace? Make alliances with our anger sometimes, don't we? We think, if only I get angry enough. When I'm angry, then I'm in control and no one can come against me when I spew like this, right? So we use our anger. We make alliances with our anger. But our anger will come and get us in the end. We can make an alliance with self-pity. Oh, if I only look bad enough, if I only whine enough, If I only complain enough, surely everyone will come to my aid and everyone will help me. So we make alliances with our self-pity, but but, but that doesn't really satisfy. Or we make alliances with our self-righteousness and we say, oh, look how good I am. I really am. I can really do this. And that gets us as well, doesn't it? We make alliances with our own wisdom. I can think this through on my own. I can can really figure this out. I'm clever enough to make this work. we, We make alliances with our lies. If I say this... That'll control this. If I say that, that'll take care of that. But yet they're all lies, you see. Make alliances with lies and they come and it gets us in the end, doesn't it? We can make alliance with all kinds of, of, of coping mechanisms, all kinds of fantasies, whether it be pornography or things like alcohol or drugs or, or, or working too much or buying and, and, and consuming and having and accumulating. If I only have enough, you see, then I'll be fine. We make alliances with all these things and all these ways. And, and so it's easy for us to, to be all huffy about Ahaz. Why couldn't he trust God? But come on. Right? We've all been there too. The first thought about Ahaz, we shouldn't be seeing someone that we just simply reject. We should be saying, oh yeah, I know him. Right? I know him. And, and we see what happens. It, it really does come uh, to, for his destruction. We read the rest of this, but it simply says that Egypt and Assyria will come and, 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 and make a mess of the whole area and even overflow into, into Judah. And then chapter 8. Chapter 8 of Isaiah, a son is born, but, but, but not quite Emmanuel, you don't think, because not born to a virgin, born to a prophetess who happens to be Isaiah's wife. She already has a child, so, so, so it doesn't seem like it could be that, but, but he has another funny name, Mahar Shalar Hasbaz, uh, which means quick to the spoil, hasten to the prey, which means, hey, these nations will be destroyed. But then he says this, oh, the seer will come against you. But then notice verse 8 of chapter 8. Isaiah cries out to this one, Emmanuel. And he says, Oh, Emmanuel, because all of this will come into the land of Emmanuel. And so he speaks to the Assyrians and he says, Be broken, you peoples, be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor, be shattered. Strap on the armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it'll come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand. For God is with us. Isaiah says, 
I know that God will be with us. So Assyria, you won't have the last, you won't have the last word. And so this chapter 8 ends with God instructing Isaiah and through him the people to have faith, to believe. And then chapter 9 speaks of a child who will be born. A child who will bring light where there's darkness, joy where there's sorrow, healing where there's pain. One who will rescue and rule. And he says, this child who will be born will have names like this. Wonderful counselor. That is, his counsel will make us marvel. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He says, he's the one who will rule because of his government. There will be no end. He'll rule and reign in peace, you see. Not just a false peace that says, oh, these couple of nations will be destroyed. No, 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 a real peace. It says this real peace will come. But the question is always, who is this child? This one who... Through Isaiah the prophet, God said, will be a sign to us that God is with us. And that sign will be a miraculous sign. It will be stupendous. It will be a virgin giving birth to a child. How can that be? You remember, there was this young girl named Mary. And an angel came to her with news that would have to have just completely shocked her. Mary, you know, was betrothed, the scripture says, to Joseph. Now, betrothal in the days of Mary and Joseph was like our engagement, but different. It was like our engagement, and the two were committed to each other, but different in the sense that they were legally committed to each other. In other words, in order to become unbetrothed, if you will, they would have had to divorce. They had already told everyone we're to be married and they had already, in a sense, signed all the papers. They just simply hadn't yet had the ceremony, simply yet hadn't come together as husband and wife. And so if one of them had been sexually intimate with another, that would have been adultery. It was, it was that legal, that binding, this betrothal. And so there she was betrothed to Joseph, but yet not having come together with him Yet, and this angel shows up and gives her news that you are going to have a baby. Not only that, you are now with child. And no doubt she would be thinking, how could that be? In fact, that's how she puts it in Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth through a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So, 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 so clearly, Luke who'd done his research, no doubt talked to Mary, no doubt had talked to siblings, other children she had after Jesus. They were well known in the community of the church in the days Luke operated. And so he said, uh, he did his research, he said, so no doubt he interviewed all these people and, and got the scoop from Mary. And, 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 and he knew that she said that at that point in time, she was a virgin. She had never been with a man. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her, the angel did, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. Don't you love it? God's always saying that to us. Isn't he? And you know why he's always saying that to us? 
because we're always afraid. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he'll be great and called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give uh, to him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob uh, forever, and the kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Do you realize that bells and whistles should have been going off in Mary's head? And bells and whistles should have been going off in everyone's head who would read this from Luke. Because that's the sign. A virgin will give birth to a son. That's it. That's what Isaiah spoke about. That's the thing. That's the proof that Emmanuel is here, that God is with us. That's it, you see. We should never doubt the presence of God once the sign has come for all those generations. When is Emmanuel coming? When is this very one going to come? We haven't heard of this one. His virgin has been, has given birth to this child. Not like this, but, but, but now it's coming. Really? That's what it meant. Yes. So here it is, you see. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born and will be called Holy, the very Son of God. And behold your relative. And he talks about, about John the Baptist. But, but you see, that's the thing. And so how does, how does Matthew pick that up as, as he speaks of Joseph in a very similar way? But, but think of Joseph's dilemma. Here you are. You're betrothed to a woman who is pregnant and you know that it wasn't by you. The disgrace of that in those days. What was he to do? Well, he could have put her to shame. He could have announced to everyone, this isn't my child. I've never known her. We've never been intimate. This isn't my child. And so he could have had her punished because she, this Sinner, but, but Joseph, you remember, I won't read it, but Joseph, you remember, was a man of great compassion. Because he says, I, I, I'll put her away quietly. I'll divorce her quietly. I'll turn her away quietly. You, you get the sense that he's saying, I'll do whatever I can to make sure Mary's not hurt by this. I can't marry her. I mean, you know, this has is, this is destroyed everything. But, 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 I'll, I'll but the angel comes to Joseph said, no, 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 Joseph, you don't understand. This child has been conceived in her by the Holy Spirit, by God. And notice how he puts it. He says that uh, she'll bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for save his people from their sins. Jesus is the New Testament, the Greek equivalent of the word Joshua. In the Old Testament, Joshua, the conquering king, Joshua, the one that come to, 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 to eliminate all of the enemies so that the people can come into the land. That, Joshua says, he's going to be like a Joshua. The salvation of God will come. He will save his people from their sins. He's the one who will conquer our real enemies, conquer sin and death. And, 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 and then all of this took place to fulfill what the word of the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Again, bells and whistles. This is it, you see. This is the sign. God is with us. Do you realize we never have to ask God for a sign of his presence? He's already given it. A virgin has given birth to Emmanuel. 
Now, what this doesn't mean is that on that moment in time, the second person of the Trinity came into existence. See, the point of it is that the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, has existed before all eternity. In fact, in his creed, this is why I use the creed of Nicaea uh, uh, during Christmas time, because the great controversy then was, who is this Jesus? And, and, and they spoke like this. And the, in, in the one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. That expression doesn't speak at all about the virgin birth. That expression speaks of the fact that Jesus has always been, from all eternity, the Son of God. The second person of the Trinity. Always or eternally begotten of the Father. Always the Father's Son. There was never a time when he didn't exist. But what this birth from this virgin speaks to us of is the fact that now this very one has become among us like us. And that you see is crucial. Because if he's going to save his people from his sins, if he's going to really get to the heart of the matter, not just a couple of nations out against us, but, but really our true Ahaz-ness, our true Ahaz-ness is our sin, just like his sin. That true rebellion against God, I want to do it my own way. I want to make my own alliances, not your way. That true Ahaz-ness, you see, that's what he came to deal with. But you see, in the very beginning, God says, now this one who will come, that will deal with all of this, will come from the seed of the woman. And we know that it can't be an animal to take our sin because animals are animals, they're not human beings. But we know it can't be one of us because if it's one of us, well, we, we sin. And so God himself is going to come and rescue us. How is he going to do that? He comes and he becomes incarnate by the Holy Spirit of this virgin. And as the Apostle John put it, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, nothing that was made. Uh, all things have been made, and only, if you will, John would put it, by him, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here's the expression of all of that. And we have seen his glory. What's that glory? The very glory of the Son of God. The, the, this one who came in utter humility. You see, the world doesn't really like this sign of, uh, of, uh, of Emmanuel any more than Ahaz wanted it. See, the world can deal with a baby being born who in some sense may be a symbol for us of peace. The hope being that someday there would be one among us born who could conquer all of, uh, of these horrible nations and, and bring peace to the world and all of that. We, we sort of have that great desire, you see. That's what we really, we really want. And so we can deal with a, a baby, right? But if this baby came from a virgin, because she was overshadowed, as the scriptures say, by the Holy Spirit. That's a whole other matter. That great theologian, 
Larry King. Retired theologian now. Once was asked, if he could interview anybody from any time in history, who would it be? He said, Jesus Christ. And when asked what question he would ask Jesus Christ, he said this, I would ask, were you virgin born? Because if he was, that would define all of history. Out of the mouth of babes and TV commentators. It really does, doesn't it? Whatever else all of that means, this virgin birth, it means that God has come and he has dwelt among us in Jesus That's the sign. People say, how do you know that God is? Because of Jesus. He's come. The virgin gave The sign has been fulfilled. Bells and whistles. We need no more signs of the presence of God than that one. Now, he gives us signs. We call them sacraments. Unless you're Baptist, then you call them ordinances. I don't care. But these sacraments, these ordinances, are signs and seals, we say. Seals meaning authenticates. Whatever is signified here is true. You can believe it. It comes from God. God is sealed, given a seal, an authentication. Say, this is really true. What this shows us is really true. It's a sign then. But of course, every sign points to Jesus. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. After giving thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. I've come to save you from your sins. I've come to rescue you. I've come to defeat sin and death. You can't do that. I've come to do that. The same way he took the cup after giving thanks. And this too he gave to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. He says, look, here it is. This speaks of me. I'm the one who came. I'm the fulfillment of the sign. My mother Mary, she was that virgin that Isaiah spoke of. And now it's come to pass. I'm here. I bring a peace. Lasting peace. A number of years ago, there was a movie about a little kid, chess prodigy. This little kid was was trained by a couple of different teachers, good teacher, bad teacher. If you know that movie, it was called in searching for it was called searching for Bobby Fischer, the next great chess champion. And this little boy was in a, a championship match. There he was, and he was in this one room, and his parents and coaches and everybody else was in another room watching on closed circuit television, if you will. And and and, it, and everybody noticed that he had made a mistake. But but then his opponent made a counter move, a mistake. And all of a sudden, one of his coaches who had trained him to, to think through every move, he said, Josh, 
You only need 12 moves. Don't move until you see it. And you see this little kid, you know, it's as if he's, he's, he's hearing his coach. He couldn't have been, but he's looking at the board and you can just see he's beginning to think it through and all of his training and everything. And he's looking at that board and then all of a sudden he gets this look on his face and makes a move to, to his opponent to, to have a draw and the, people, the, the, the opponent denies the draw. And so then methodically he moves because he sees it. Don't come until you see it. Do you see it? There's this one, this Emmanuel who's with us. And this points to him. It points to him because he's the one who would come. And he was the very sign of Emmanuel, the very God with us. The word became flesh. He made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory. And this glory is the one and only. This one come from the Father, this Jesus. And he's come to save us from our sins. How did he do that? He did that by becoming like us. In every way except sin, and he took the penalty for our sin. And so God gives us this now to say, I point you back to Jesus. If you see it, then you can come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for me, for us. That we get it, that we see it, that we understand it, that yes, this Jesus is that one of whom Isaiah spoke. And now we can always trust that he is with us, that he has come to conquer, to rule and to reign. Conquered sin and death, even our own hearts, that we might believe. Now, Father, we are pointed to him by this meal. So I pray that you'd enable us to see it as we do, to receive from this table. Take this bread and this juice, Father, I pray, and set it apart in such a way that we know the very presence of Jesus. We know the forgiveness that he brings. We know the presence of his spirit. We know the peace that we have with you and with each other. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.